Hey, hey, Podnoxians. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 247. My name is Door to Door Geek, owner and operator of Podnuts, longtime Linux enthusiast, and I gave up being a preacher of open source in Linux. I just you know, talk like a normal person. Uh, this show is brought to you by John Hand. I want to thank John Hand for his patronage. Uh, people like him enabled this to be a completely ad-free network for all of 2020. Uh, if you do not like hearing ads, you might consider going to patreon.com slash podnuts. And I'm not alone th this week. We actually have two people on the show. First, we have Bruce Patterson from Distro Watch. How is everything going, Bruce? It's going pretty well. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear it's going well. Uh, and also on this show, we have very longtime friend, uh, Admiral Jonathan T. Nadal. How is everything going, man? Everything's going well here, Dora. Thanks for having me on. It is really, really good to hear your voice. I will say that, Jonathan. And I will say, I also was informed another friend, Cody Cooper, uh, was very busy. Couldn't listen to any podcast like a month ago, started listening to podcast again, and he listened to um, this show, and he was like shocked to hear Bruce's voice. He's like, this is great. This is great. So now he's going to hear this one, and he's going to hear your voice, and I'm sure I'm going to get a Voxer message from him, uh, and I'm not sure what to expect. I hear that. So uh. I will say we haven't done a show for over a month. Um, I'm still awaiting surgery uh, on my right shoulder, but those watching the YouTube video will notice I have my left arm in a sling. You should be confused because that's how I feel right now. Um, so right now I'm in a spot where I'm able to manage some of the pain long to sit down and record, you know, longer than a three minute podcast. And I'll plug this because that's what I do. Um, I now have over 85 episodes published of the revolving door three minute or shorter daily podcast literally every day for now over three months where I just go over all the podcasts I listen to currently, Jonathan, I kind of feel like you pushed me to do this. I now subscribe to over 155 podcasts. The average speed I listen to a podcast is 4.5 to five X. I hear you, man. It's uh, once you get into that groove, it's hard not to be like, well, I mean, realistically, how many can I listen to? Yeah, and I can't listen to like podcasts live now, like, you know, join us live at this point, live at that, because it literally sounds like everyone's on volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll ask each of you first, I'll ask Bruce, uh, is there anything interesting in the Linux open source floss Libra world that you want to talk about? Or you want to take us on a tangent? Well, uh, I was about to take us on a tangent, but boy, you think I'd had laughing gas before just the start of the show here. <laughs> um, you know, it occurred to me that since we've been in self-quarantine and stuff like that, uh, this is, what, three months now. You know, I haven't worn shoes in almost two months. Okay. I will say I have worn shoes only because I went at least on walks once in a while. Um, and my wife acts, I love my wife a lot, but she acts like when I work at home, I'm not actually working at home. I can do chores and do runs and do errands and stuff when I'm working, when I'm actually working. And I'm, here's the thing. I swear I'm doing more work because I'm not having complete mental invalids walking up to my cube and saying, Hey, Steve, can I ask you about blah, 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 to which I almost always reply, send me an email. Uh, well, you know, funny you mentioned that because uh, when Jonathan and I were talking yesterday, uh, it started off with me asking him how he's doing. And essentially, Jonathan replied to the fact that I'm doing things like I normally do but I don't feel like I'm making progress. And it feels like running in place in a way because, you know, you're home every day. You're, you know, there's no real variation to, you know, all right, well, I move from the couch to my computer or after I'm done, I go back to the couch. You know, it's, uh, it, it's pretty disconcerting sometimes. And I, I clearly need a new routine, but I know I'm not the only one in this boat either. I mean, the, you, you have defined lines, so you know one. Make no mistake about it. Six o'clock rolls around, I shut the computer off. But uh, you know, again, you're right. I think during our regular hours, we do work harder now than we ever have. Yeah, partially because the bathroom is a lot closer. Secondly, my lunch is a lot closer. Thirdly, 
I can actually just turn my head and I'm then on my personal computer. So I can literally, while I'm waiting for queries to execute or I'm waiting for things to run, uh, you know, test in test kind of thing, I can just sit there and watch YouTube or whatever very comfortably. I will say the first thing I did, I upgraded my chair because I needed to. Absolutely. And actually, you know what? Why don't we start the show off this way? Because all three of us have largely met each other way back. I mean, our... Our, our relationship goes back to 10 years at least, at least at this point. Actually, closer to 15, I think. And so a lot has changed in that, that amount of time. Unfortunately for Jonathan, some things haven't changed. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, but this is one of those things. Where are you guys today in terms of your attitudes towards Linux in general? Jonathan, you got to go first. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, Jonathan, what you are the you were the guest today. Oh boy, okay. So repeat that question again. So in terms of Linux, a lot has happened over the years, and think about what it was when you first started getting involved in the community, and I put that in air quotes. Yeah. Um, to what things are like today for you? I mean, you know, our attitudes have certainly changed. As an example. Um, I was all about the community when I first joined. Uh, at this point, not so much. Um, in fact, I think if anything, I'm done pros uh, preaching the gospel of Linux. Uh, it's 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 essentially a waste of time for me. Um, I figure the people that are interested in making a change that don't have to that aren't interested in paying for a lot of things, if they're patient and they want to learn, I'll work with them. But if somebody says, I need this up and running today and put Windows on it, I do. I, I don't fight people for things like that anymore. I'm, I guess I'll come in sort of a little bit on those coattails then. I'm, I'm kind of right there with you, Bruce. I mean, the last time, what was, I don't even remember the last year we did the Harvard uh, NELF. It was, uh, man, like thir 12, 13, 14, something like that. Like was the last one, 2012, 13, 14, somewhere around there. I, don't, I really don't remember which, which date was the last one. But I've kind of after that show and after kind of a few other things, you know, sort of sprinkled throughout that time, a few years after that, I just haven't really been involved in open source at all. In fact, I still am a proponent of open source software and the benefits of it and things like that. I'm currently not running Linux, and I haven't been for a couple of years right now. Oh, and I think that, uh, that's uh, fair. I mean, like I said, if anything, um, being a uh, person who stood on the sidelines watching you struggle with some of these things over the year, years, I'm not, I'm not surprised even when you've had a chance to actively engage and help people in these kind of things. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how much pushback you received during this. Well, I mean, what brought me to it is I was using Thunderbird, you know, to read my email. And it just started like dogging on me. And I was running Mate and like Ubuntu Mate. I tried running Manjaro Mate. I was trying to run every version of Mate I could. But Thunderbird was getting like insanely slow. Like I'm not using any type of exaggeration where if I would arrow down to just see, to like look at the subject of a new email, it would literally take like 60 seconds. So I would hit the down arrow and I have to wait 60 seconds before it would go to the next email. And I'm, I wasn't running like an insanely new machine, but it was like a AMD, the eight core AMD, you know, four gigahertz, 16 gigs of RAM, SSD drive. I mean, to do something like that, I'm pretty sure I shouldn't have had to wait a minute to start getting to my next emails. And then once I finally opened it, it was just dog slow. And then like Firefox, cause that was the only accessible browser on Linux at the time. And I'll get back to that in a second. But Firefox, the only browser that was accessible, that started kind of getting dog, a little doggish too. And I'm just like, man, you know, Linux used to be like run so great on hardware and everything. I'm, I'm not feeling it now. And you know, they kind of become a little bit more quirky and, you know, mind you, I'm not really involved in Linux community. I've been doing like marketing crowdfunding campaigns for the last three, four, five years, and that was what I've been doing to earn money. And so it's like, I just need my computer to work. I'm not in that mindset anymore where it's like, you know, trying to tinker with it or doing these little hacks in the middle of you trying to get work done. It's just not fun anymore. 
And so when I can't even like open my email and I have to wait 60 seconds and I tried, you know, doing fresh installs of different operating systems, like maybe I'm just not used to the right one, you know, maybe there's just some bloat somewhere in the kernel. And I tried all different kinds of variants and I just, I couldn't get it to run on my, what I considered a decent computer, put Windows 10 on it and uh, it's, and put Thunderbird on and it was starting to run a lot faster. And so then I started, I installed NVDA. I don't use JAWS. And I'm highly impressed with how accessible NVDA works with uh, Windows 10. So I've been using that. And, uh, you know, I just found out that this Reaper uh, record, digital audio workstation recording software is like insanely accessible on the Windows platform. It's oh, yeah. Pro Tools equivalent, like DAW. And uh, so that's like crazy accessible because this other guy created this sort of like open source bridge that like just made this Reaper software wide open and it's like wicked accessible. So I've, I just built this insane computer and I'm going to be using this software because I've been getting way back into music because way before Linux and all that, I was a heavy metal guitar player and singer and I was like way into music and I hadn't played guitar for 18 years. And then about a year and a half ago, this friend of mine reached out to me and he's like, hey man, you want to jam? And I started jamming with this, this uh, friend of mine and it just like re reinvigorated my love for music. So I've just been like diving deep back into music and playing guitar and geeking out with uh, instruments and equipment. And so being able to have this like pro, you know, pro tools equivalent software completely accessibly, it just like opens up this entire world for me where I can start like editing other bands, music and producing stuff, recording my own stuff and licensing and all that. And unfortunately I wouldn't have been, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that on Linux. I, I literally filed a bug against Chromium 10 years ago. And just within the past, like this is no lie, within the past two months, I got an email saying that that bug is now removed. That Chrome, my, my initial bug was Chromium is inaccessible with Orca. Like Orca could not even speak to Chromium. You would just open Chromium and that's it. You couldn't do anything. And so literally took 10 years to make Chromium accessible on Linux. It's been accessible on Windows for like... I don't even know how long, probably like eight of those 10 well, years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I do want to interrupt you there because I'm not sure if you've read the SLA on that. I'm pretty sure 10 years is acceptable for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And my only question, Jonathan, is have you tried slid ads? I haven't. But there is a um, uh, a new accessible um, Linux OS called Slint. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Slint, is that the one you meant? Door, not Slit as, but Slint. No, no, no. I always troll people and ask if they've tried Slit as because it's one of the most painful distributions I've ever ran, yet it taught me the most about Linux, I'll say. Mm. Well, there is one called Slint OS based off of Slackware. Uh, and it's, I think a guy in France is, uh, is overseeing it, but it looks pretty cool with what he's doing. It's kind of text-based but graphical and you can kind of choose what desktops you want and stuff it, I don't know, it looks like he's kind of doing some cool stuff but he's not like he kind of has his own idea of what he wants to do and he's not kind of bending to the will of what you know some people are like oh hey maybe you should do this he's like nah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, but that's cool though he's got his own kind of way of how he wants it to work and there you go yeah i'll say real quick three of my favorite distributions ever used were all french i love mm. i loved voyager linux um uh, but only one version of it which was french based the other one was hybrid h-y-b-r-i-d-e oh, yeah, yeah, that one sounded cool that one because you could interactively at any point in time say switch my desktop to whatever Right. XFCE, mm -hmm. i3, awesome, GNOME, KDE, and all your applications would stay up and running. Uh, to me, it was the best distribution to run if your goal was to help troubleshoot and answer questions of people. It worked fantastic, and then they stopped supporting it. I can't remember the other one, but there was one before that. I want to say it might have been the one that Tracy Holtz wouldn't shut up about. Oh, I love that guy. Oh, Sousa? Before Sousa. Oh, Mandriva. Mandrake. Maybe. Man Drake. Okay. One of them, yes. I believe well, they're both was French. French, I believe, though. Uh, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or were you thinking of the uh, Distro Megaea? Oh, Mangia. Oh, Mangia. I think that was, was it. Yeah, yes, it was. it was. Good yep. call. And I'll say this um, I used to be what I considered to be a preacher, and by preacher, a badgerer, like a, like a belligerent 
badgerer of people about Linux. And now I'm to the realization, you know, uh, harkens back to the 1970s song by, I'm pretty sure, a black woman where she said, you got to use what you got to get what you want. Um, it's all about your own personal workflow. Mm. I can't tell anybody you should be using X because of Y, because that means nothing to them. Perspective well, is reality, yeah. and your own individual workflow and comfortable workflow dictates what you should use. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would prefer to be using Linux. I would rather use Linux, but unfortunately, Linux can't provide the things that I am offered on other platforms, and I'm going to have to go there because I need to get stuff done, yo. Well, here's the good news, Jonathan. Uh, the Windows okay, 3 things happened with Microsoft in the last 30 days. One, they released the Windows Terminal, which yeah, I definitely I encourage you to download and play with. Two, they uh, released WinGit, which I also encourage you to download and okay. play with. But also the Windows subsystem for Linux, which is named retardedly, which means it's a perfect type of Linux thing because they always name things horribly. Uh, it now incorporates true graphical compliance, which means from Windows interface, you can run PowerShell and interact with the Windows sus subsystem for Linux and launch Linux GUI applications in a seamless format. So you should be able to, if you're up to, I believe it was 1909 version of Windows, interact and run Linux applications as if you were on a native Linux desktop. And don't be shocked when I say this. Microsoft is going to make the gear of the Linux desktop happen under a Microsoft installed operating system. <laughs> oh, I actually, I agree. In fact, Interestingly enough, what I, I'm kind of curious about in terms of snap and flat package, uh, flat packs, is the future of that is where they can actually run on a Windows environment as yep. well because it's self-contained, you know. And uh, quite frankly, uh, uh, one of the things that I see a move, <coughs> excuse me, a movement to is OSs using that as the default package manager because why? invest your time in trying to get an application to work on your OS when the fine folks who are creating these packages will just keep everything in a container for you, you know? Um, and I see that as a viable uh, option going forward. We'll see. Yeah, and I'll say um, years ago, I want to say six years ago or so, I said on one of the podcasts that the computers we have in our house today are 99.999% of the time, way too much hardware versus what we need. Because all people want to do is get on Facebook, get on YouTube, get on blah, 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 blah. So we have over excessive hardware. We've reached peak over excessive hardware. And here's the example I'm going to give. Japan just launched the number one super, they just took the crown, the crown of the number one most powerful supercomputer in the world. Okay. But the gimmick is it's running total ARM processors, okay? Wow, I, yeah. and, I, and I'm going off of memory, so I'm sure I'm wrong. I want to say it was 128,000 cores, and it beat in number of petaflops number two by threefold. It was three times more powerful than number two supercomputer, and I also believe, if I'm not mistaken, it also used one-third less power. Um, we have so much excessive RAM so much excessive processing power, so much ex excessive storage capabilities. There's no reason why those things cannot move or migrate entire ecosystems onto other platforms seamlessly, where you can very easily on a Windows thing, double click an icon and it automatically, in air quotes, launches the Linux subsystem for Linux, launches a boot sequence, launches the application and introduces you to a new thing that you never knew existed with the end user not having to know any of the magical stuff that actually happens. Very interesting. Hmm. Well, uh, here's the thing I love about computers and I hate about computers is the same token because we've lowered the barrier of entry for everything. Now, complete mental invalids with the IQ barely above a silverback gorilla 
can produce a podcast of almost equal quality of true professionals out there and get 10 times the download numbers of true professionals and reap the rewards and sell their listenership as advertisements to other people for you know pennies on the dollar and just sit back and roll in money and have absolutely no technical understanding how any of it works. Well, I'm flattered, Dor. <laughs> well, and I'll say it like this. There's another guy who I spoke to in the last month who I literally was giddy as a little girl. Uh, it was Russ Winter, the techie geek, and he said, I want to say it was his son-in-law wanted to get into podcasting. And I said, well, you know, as I always said, when someone asks you a question, the proper response is not to give them an answer, but it's to respond to them with 20 plus questions. And my, so I boiled it down to, look, if he doesn't want to do any work in air quotes, because he was asking about hosting, who, who should I get with hosting it? Like, should I go with GoDaddy? And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you can go with Anchor FM. You can go with Spreaker FM. You can go with these other solutions where you don't even have to have a website. Yeah, exactly. You can literally just record it on your phone and hand over the ownership and air quotes to them yeah, yeah. And, and just create the content. And he was blown away. And by the way, I'm sure when he listens to this, I'm also going to get a Voxer message and I don't know what it's going to entail, but it's always good to hear from the techie geek. Probably wild turkey. I miss my, my wild turkey. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think one of the other questions I have is actually the one that Jonathan and I were talking about the other day, too, in terms of people who want to start a podcast. The most important question you can ask is, what am I going to bring to the table that is different from all the others? Because at this point, we really are talking white noise. Well, oh man, here's like a belief of mine. I have no problem listening because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I have no problem listening to 10 podcasts with 10 people talking about the same thing, but they take time to interject it with their own personal experiences, beliefs, mm. but, and what they see as truths, as long as they classify it as them. Because the reason there's, I believe there's two reasons people listen to a podcast. There's the reason they tell other people they've listened to the podcast. And then the real reason they listen to the podcast and the example I used is Android app addicts. Why would someone listen to Android app addicts? Well, they'll tell somebody else, well, because I get to hear about Android news and I get to hear about Android apps and blah, 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 blah. But the real reason they listen to it is for the camaraderie between the individuals and they get to know yeah, the people exactly. and they get to feel like there's a distant friend off in the distance. My personal belief is every podcast should feel like me, Bruce, and Jonathan are sitting in a garage with the garage door open, throwing darts at a dartboard, drinking whatever beverage we like, and the random person walking by just hears us talking and ask, hey, um, can I come in? And that's what they're listening to is this podcast while we sit there and talk. Um, that's the way a podcast should feel. It should not feel utterly scripted, documented, like anal is the word I'll use. Um, so I'm okay with people thinking they're not contributing anything that no one else is as long as they bring themselves to it as well. Uh, correct. I think earnestness really does carry a lot of weight to it. In fact, that's usually the key to any art. It's a personalized part of it where you make it yours because it's based on all these, you know, uh, factors. So, no, I agree. Uh, so I retract my initial well, statement. But I also ask you, do you remember the question you asked Jonathan about his time in Linux? Well, yes. what was it? I can't remember. It was, you know, when you look back on uh, things when we first began to where we are today, it was, you know, what has changed in terms of attitudes and where are you in terms of your view of Linux today? Well, like I said, I would prefer to use it if it, you know, was doing what I wanted it to do. I actually, <clears throat> that I since I upgraded my computer, my old computer is now the living room computer. And I was like, oh, we'll just throw Ubuntu Mate on it and call it a day. We should be good to go. And it was the latest LTS. I don't remember the, the numbers, but it was the latest LTS version. And I uh, put it on there. And, uh, you know, it stayed on there for a little bit. But, man, it was – I ended up putting Windows 10 on it. Just, I don't know if it's, like, something to do with, like, my – maybe it's that processor. I don't know. Because I know AMD actually had a class action lawsuit because, like, even though they claimed it was eight cores, it really wasn't. So they got sued over that. So I don't know. Maybe the processor really wasn't all that great. I don't know. But even the performance without 
accessibility having to be turned on wasn't that great. And we, you know, we put Windows 10 on it. Again, I maybe if I had a slightly better computer, when Linux would be on it. But for right now, Windows 10 is on that. And again, I'd prefer to use it, but just my la- latest experience wasn't that great. But yeah, and I don't think I answered Bruce's question also. What I'll say is, <sighs> I feel just as passionate about Linux as I ever have. I'm extremely disappointed at the polarizing nature of people in the communities of Linux. I'm also extremely disappointed in the fact that we have completely obvious to anybody who does any amount of lateral searching, we have a complete anti-Semite being very popular in Linux. Uh, I'm very upset that we have people who have no actual comprehension of anything put into status symbols in some sort of Linux ecosystem. Um, I will say I'm happy. I'm utterly happy with the polishedness of an air quotes Linux. I'm completely disappointed in the fact that we are seeing an ever widening girth between lightweight distributions and heavy distributions. And all anybody ever seems to talk about is the extremely graphic intensive, heavy distributions. Um, I'm a fan of literally, I'm st- I still install Ubuntu server edition when I want a Ubuntu version. And then I just install um, the um, X org and just I three on top of it. And that's all I ever do. And it works fine in air quotes. Um, I will say um, each individual application is a nonstop ever going curate curation of, is this the application I want to use? Because like Jonathan experienced with Thunderbird, um, when things aren't maintained to me as an end user, it's painfully obvious that people have given up on them. I will say I too have been slightly soured off and on in the past by Mozilla, but there's been few companies out there that are companies that I actually have any faith in wanting to do the right thing. Um, thus, I have no problem in saying last week I got an email from Mozilla and I sent them 25 bucks and I tried to set up a recurring $1 a month thing and they wouldn't let me do it because it wasn't enough money for them. Uh, but I want there to be some competition somewhere between Chromium browsers and something else because there's nothing else except Chromium based browsers out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, did- I, I would say too, I guess part of my, you know, my whole fire with all my whole passion for all that had been kind of put out snuffed out and so without that sort of fire and passion and you know for fighting that fight and then struggling with the operating system and being like you know it's i can't even do simple things or basic things right now i just need you know i need to kind of maybe go where something else is going to you know kind of suit my needs for right now well well what i noticed uh, i was gonna say um so i'm still using linux partially because of I'm i'm a curmudgeon and i'm stubborn um it does everything I needed to do. It does everything I wanted to do. I now have extremely tight workflows of what I do. Um, and I'm not going to lie. I do a lot of the stuff that I need to do on my Android device, but I will say Kai OS, which I will say again, I was the very first podcast that ever mentioned it. And I dare somebody to find, to call me a liar because I'll give you money. Um, Kai OS just released last week. Um, a podcast player, KaiOS, long story short, incredibly cheap phones for third world countries, literally like $60 phones running this Linux open operating system on it. Um, and KaiOS is just one version that's been more popular than others. It just released its first podcasting app uh, that I know of. And I literally immediately contacted the developer of it. Uh, and I wanted to give him money, um, but it turns out he wants a little bit more money than I can afford right now, uh, but it's pod LP. Um, yeah, P O D L P I believe is what it's called. Um, I'm in a back and forth with him right now. Cause I would like to give him money. I want to see him move forward. I want to see him keep doing more good things because I want in my pocket to have a free Libra open source operating system, uh, fully functional in my pocket. Um, and the more people we get higher up on the food chain of technology, the better the world is, period, hard stop. If you take a look at history right now, okay, 
go back 250 years, 90% of the world was in abject poverty. Please don't reply unless you actually look up the definition of the word abject poverty, because I'm betting a lot of you people don't. Um, today, less than 9% of the world lives in abject poverty, okay? Um, and it's because we in the first world have been you know, buying phones so frequently, buying computers so frequently that the third world is getting direct benefits from our throwaways kind of thing, including our clothes even, which is surprising, but it's true. Um, so I want to support things like KaiOS to become as popular as they ever can be. The split second I can ditch my Android phone, I'm going to take my phone out front and like that movie with Ed Norton um, when he was the racist, American History X. I'm going to take my phone, put it on the curb, and stomp the hell out of it because I can't wait for the day I can put a true free Libra open source phone in my pocket. Yeah, where did all you think those New England Patriots Super Bowl championship shirts went when the Eagles won? True, true. Um, and um, <laughs> I was listening to a uh, one podcast where the guy said, you don't understand. Yes, when we give people those shirts, you're taking away a business of that local people putting out a shirt. But you got to understand that local place putting out a shirt will only last through the washing like six times where we give them one of our shirts, it lasts 600 times. So it's better for everybody, better for the environment, better for their ecosystem, better for everybody, for them to make money in places that better benefit them and their ecosystem. That was a really interesting podcast, I'll say. Oh, yeah, and I also wanted to make the point my wife pointed out. I didn't want to cut off my nose despite my face. That's why I switched over to Windows because, you know, I just had to, like I said before, get stuff done. Hey, and look, um, that's why I honestly like listening to people like Nightwise, because he doesn't care what you use. All he cares about is, are you getting what you need done in an efficient fashion? Because if you're using iOS, if you're using Android, if you're using Windows, if you're using Macs, if you're using Linux, you just once in a while need to stop and evaluate your workflow and say, is there a better way for you to do that? I will say I have no problem in going out of my way to make my workflow better on Linux. Um, I spend eight hours a day on Windows and I'm still convinced what I need to do, I'm able to do most efficiently on a Linux desktop for now. But also, I don't know if you know this, Jonathan, uh, Linus Torvald, after I don't even know how many years, ditched Intel and he switched everything over on his systems to AMD, which I'm sure immediately caused AMD stock price to go up. Well, that's because now he's a converted gamer. Speaking of gamer, right. <laughs> did you guys know what our friend Ike Darty is doing? And I call him my friend, even though I'm sure he doesn't even know my real name. <laughs> what, what is he doing these days? And I won't be surprised whatever you tell me. First off, I'll say it like this. I'm Irish, okay? Given the chance, I would happily knee Clem right in his junk. Actually, no, I'd give him a flying knee right to his chin. And I guarantee you, I'll connect. Ike Darty is the kind of Irishman that I feel proud, so proud that he's Irish. This guy created his own distribution from scratch. He didn't jump on the back of the biggest true open source distribution there is like Debian. He created his own. He created his own package manager and everything. Uh, then he went and worked at Intel and he took clear Linux and he made it into something incredibly fast and furious and polished, which we're going to see in the next couple of years. You're going to see uh, embedded systems running clear Linux between me and you. Thirdly, he quit because he made enough money. Now he's working on a open platform, open source platform for game development. Um, and I'm going to support anything that he does because, damn it, his name is Ike Darty. Uh, now, I do believe there is a link we do have actually in the notes. Yeah, it's called Serpent. S-E-R-P-E-N-T, June 21st, 2020 was when I bookmarked this. Serpent Game Framework. This framework is being developed by uh, Lipsy Snakes for our first game, but it's actually Ike Darty. Um, basically, he wants to create a complete open source platform for game development. Um, anything that guy does, I'm behind, even though I believe games poison a lot of things. Does Ike still look over the Bungie uh, desktop? or nope. Is that still going on, though? He's completely separated himself from it, but he's handed it off, it looks like, to at least competent 
people where there is still very good development. I mean, Solus OS is still getting updated. Bungie desktop is still getting updated. Since he left, Bungie has been accepted as one of the quote unquote official Ubuntu derivatives. And I did run it for a little bit and it was really smooth and good looking, but I'm not about smooth and good looking. I'm about getting my desktop out of my way to let me launch applications as quick as possible. Yeah, actually, and there was a uh, review that uh, uh, Jesse Smith did probably about six months ago about Solus and the update, and still top-of-the-line OS, and there was uh, very few uh, items that uh, were any uh, that had any drawback. But, you know, overall, it's a solid, solid OS. Yeah, and I have no problem saying... Um... I'm doing my revolving door podcast about all the podcasts I listen to. After that, I'm tempted to go through the YouTube channels I subscribe to. And then after that, I'm tempted to go through the Patreon uh, people that I support because I can't support everybody I listen to. Okay, period. I just can't. Um, but certain people, I believe, deserve support. They deserve a fraction of my pay. Like, hypothetically, right now, if Weird Al Yankovic started a Patreon, I'd do everything in my power to give him, like, three to five bucks a month because that's how much I would love him to keep creating and keep moving forward and keep doing things. Um, and Jonathan told me years ago, before I went to ever see Weird Al Live, it was one of the best live shows he saw. But I have even more than that. When we exited the place... Okay, hundreds of cars, hundreds of cars in this place. Yet this was the first time in my life I exited such event where everybody actually followed the zipper technique, which is you let one person go, then you go. You let one person go and you go. We got out of that parking lot, busy, busy parking lot in less than like a minute and a half. And my wife said it was almost like we were Moses and the Reed Sea was parting right in front of us. Wow, I've never heard that before. That's, That's Weird funny. Al fans. Weird Al fans, I personally believe, are amongst the most humane, um, ethical, moral people I think I've ever witnessed in my life. And I have no problem in saying, I saw Paul McCartney live. Pretty sure Weird Al was a better show. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to... Uh distros for a very quick second here so i actually have the distro watch rankings and we're disclaimer we're all well aware about the page hits and stuff like that but um so the top five surprisingly you know if you had told me these things years ago i wouldn't have believed half of it but mx linux is number one manjaro is number two uh mint is three ubuntu is number four but rightfully so debian in the top five and uh, it's funny because if you took Debian away from that, you would take away Ubuntu, Ding. Mint, and MX Linux. <laughs> and then all you would have standing by itself is Manjaro. And that's Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. And I'll say this. Weird Al looks much less like a elderly lesbian than Paul McCartney. He also has that on him. Okay. But I'll go back. Um, I'm not an Arch fan whatsoever. Never been an Arch fan. I'm not a KDE fan at all. I will say on my little Israel-based cube computer, KDE ran shockingly well. On my Pinebook Pro, my Debian Pine OS runs more stable, in air quotes, than Manjaro. But dang, Manjaro is pretty, and it runs really quick, fast. So I'm becoming a convert. Um, I will say I would have been shocked if you would have said Haiku, R1 Beta 2 was on the top of that list because uh, they just came out with a big release like a week or two ago. Yeah, well, actually, Jonathan, uh, didn't you work with uh, uh, Manjaro for a while to make them the base of uh, your OS? Yeah, I did. I actually based Sonar off Manjaro for probably a year and a half or so. It was quite, uh, quite a good run. It was uh, by far the best iteration of Sonar that I had. Also, I think it helped that uh, the uh, lead developer was also pretty useful and helpful in this yeah, case. Yeah, Phil Miller, um, I believe it's the you know, uh, Yep, yep, exactly. Uh, it, it's funny because I think the, the Millers, it has to be something in the water because you've got uh, Matthew Miller, who's uh, the uh, the DPL for uh, Fedora. And I'll tell you, he's, oh, he's good he, people. Oh, is it Matthew Miller? Oh, no, no, sorry. I was thinking about a different Matthew Garrett I was thinking of. But um, 
No, but Phil Miller was he was wicked hands on with me and like he worked with me. He like included Sonar kind of into the whole building process of Manjaro. You know, he worked with me with the installer. Like he was extremely, extremely helpful. He was, you know, the perfect example of sort of what the open source community should look like. And actually, that's another conversation that we should probably open up at some point, too, because one of the things that has definitely changed over the years is the feel of the community, because, uh, you know, as it stands now, I honestly don't feel that there is a cohesive one that exists today, or maybe it's just simply because I'm far removed from them all. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, what about your thoughts and your experiences with that? Sorry, part of that broke up. We'll repeat that last part. Um, Dora, I was ask, asking Jonathan uh, about the uh, Linux community. He just gave us a, a quick rundown of uh, his uh, collaboration with Phil Miller and uh, in Manjaro. And so I, I, it, it made me think about the earlier days when we were all involved in the community. And it just seems that it's so much different. I don't think there is a cohesive one out there anymore. Um, so I'd be interested in your, in both of your thoughts. Well, I mean, you know, this is 2020. Everybody's polarized about something. Everyone, I don't, I hate, I hate injecting anything into my operating system except for code. Okay. I don't want political motives. I don't want moral opinions. I don't want any of that in my Linux. Uh, it's fine if Linux wants to take a stand for something that it believes in. Um, but they have to understand anytime any of those things inject themselves, you're going to lose some amount of popularity. You're going to lose some amount of um, 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 momentum that you have. So that the community is almost like the United States political system right now. Everything is unbelievably polarized. Um, I can't partake in any of it. Because I learned a long time ago on the Podnuts forums, all I do in text form, which mainly the communities still communicate by text, is I just make people mad. Um, so I can't partake in them whatsoever. Um, I, I, I'm fine if somebody gives me the opportunity to contribute code. I'm fine if someone gives me the opportunity to contribute in any shape, way, or form, bug fixes or anything. Um, but to actually interact with people, I can't do. And that's because there's way too many incredibly stupid people, whether it is in the United States, Maryland, Baltimore, Harford County, Europe, Africa, Israel, India, Japan. There's way too many stupid people for me to interact with. So as far as community is concerned, I'll let them do whatever they think is right. And I'm just going to chug away and do what I can do on my Linux desktop. Uh, well, then let me ask you this question. Why do you think Linux Basics was so successful? Well, it's almost like um, a snowball rolling downhill kind of thing. Where, and I'll say anytime someone introduces an argument worth a analogy, it just means they're trying to confuse you. Um, we had nerds go into places like school systems and introduce open source software 15 years ago. Okay. Slowly, those people went up the ranks. They became leads. They became managers. They became supervisors. Then they became directors. Then they became executives kind of thing. And here's the honest to goodness truth. If anybody in America, it is right now, um, June the 27th. Okay. I want to say it was June the 24th. I don't know. There was a COVID thing at the white house. Sorry. It wasn't at the white house. It was a federal thing where they talked about uh, all the COVID numbers and things. And if you actually watched it, what you noticed was every single graphic they put up was powered by open street maps. And that's because any company, every government, any group, any community does not want to pay other companies for things if free things are out there. Every single map they showed during that COVID response said open street maps in the bottom corner. And let me tell you something, all those maps look unbelievably professional. If I, as an executive, can pay somebody to install and maintain something and then point at them and say it broke, 
that's all I care about as an executive. I don't care what the technology is. And, but those companies who are giving that service will always use the most economical thing they can possibly get, which means they're going to lean more towards open technologies because that maximizes their profit margin. Period. Bottom line. I would love it for somebody to prove that I'm wrong, but that's how I see everything going. The example I use is new, um, new, um, new tonics. New tonics is essentially the number one hyperconvergence company out there, which is a word some people might not know. It's that new of a technology. Um, everything they run is running on Linux and KVMs in the back. If you actually hack their OS and get root, which is not hard to do, I'll say that, you'll see everything's running in KVMs. Everything that anybody could literally download on any piece of hardware and install themselves. Um, companies are making billions of dollars off of paying nothing to get the technology in their house. Um, that's why open source is going to take over and win because it doesn't cost them any money of investment. All you need to do is sit down and watch some YouTube videos and you can do anything that any company has ever done in the existence of mankind. You got me. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. Well, I mean, you know, CBA cost benefit analysis, all companies have to put business plans to banks when they get their loans and they, you know, file for their statuses kind of thing. And whatever makes you the most profit margin is always going to be the one where you're going to get the most investment. And then you can make the most money and invest the most money back into your own company. Does it pay you as a company to invest in like cold fusion and have to buy licenses from Adobe to run code cold fusion? Or is it more to your cost benefit to just download PHP libraries and frameworks and just use them? Um, free is always preferred in the um, capitalist mindset. So I guess really um, we veered off a little bit from the actual question because what I had asked was what was the, what was the driving force that made the Linux basics group so successful? Oh, oh. The Linux basics group. Well, because of the same capitalistic idea of being open. And our belief was the cream would always rise to the top. Let's let every person with a mental disability come into our group and contribute. And if they were good, we believed the cream would rise to the crop. And for the most part, we were absolutely right. We had really smart guys come out like chatter. We had really smart guys come out and just open their eyes up and teach us things. We had um, uh, more than a couple people, I'll say to this day, I still consider to be the best people I've ever met in my life. A couple of them are Canadian. Some of them are Northeasterners. Some of them are Northwesterners. I believe there's one in Florida. Uh, just really good people, really smart people. And then there's a guy from Indiana, I believe, that I can't wait to stab in the neck. I'm not sure who that is, but no. Uh, and I'm always curious. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm curious if. I'm curious if today's kids actually feel that incentive to actually begin. Every time you talk, the dog wants to bark. Yeah, well, we're going to put him down soon. <laughs> we're not. But anyway, so it, it goes back to the question, too, of, um, uh, let's see. Well, I lost my train of thought. Well, there you go. <laughs> Don't get old. Well, it, well it, it's the same reason why shows like Tilts keeps going on. Because open frameworks and open design also means that there's no limits on height or depth. I mean, and which also means every week you never know what to expect. So people keep listening. You might hear something great. You might hear two hours of, I really don't know what I just did with my last two hours. Um, so it's like liberty, freedom. Um, when you listen to something like Bloomberg Business Week, you know you're going to hear utterly retarded information compacted down in as tight of a fashion as they possibly can with an ad sponsorship thrown in here and there and some native content, AKA paid advertisements thrown in here and there. Uh, Cause that's just the nature of the beast. Linux basics was just free community, open natured, um, which also I believe was its, its downfall. You know what I mean? If you go around the world and eat every plant you see sooner or later, you're going to eat a poison mushroom. So I guess what I would dovetail that into is uh, shows that, uh, you know, are pretty prominent. Like uh, 
if you had to name a top five podcast, uh, I'm curious as to what you and Jonathan are listening to. Jonathan? Oh, man. Um, it doesn't have to be hmm. Linux either. Yeah, I yeah mean, no, I, I started listening to, uh, I really started watching a ton of the Joe Rogan uh, podcasts on YouTube. I've been really digging him, and uh, I like the way he interviews people. And uh, the people he's had on, like, an insane amount of interesting people. I'm listening to that. Um, I, I downloaded a bunch of Tim Ferriss' stuff, but I haven't really started listening to any of that yet. That's on the horizon. Um, my podcast intake has been low, and my book intake has been much higher. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'm going to go through the first five that catch my eye alphabetically in my list. Um I will say um, Common Sense from Dan Carlin is an unabashedly opinion podcast where he's literally just telling you his opinions. And he is a really, really, really smart guy, I personally believe, uh, who has facts to, and beliefs to back up his opinions, and he goes through them very well. It's the kind of show he only ever puts out whenever he feels like putting it out. So there might be a two-year break here and there between that podcast. Um, next one I'll say is Darknet Diaries. Um, Darknet Diaries by Jack Reisner um, is a great podcast because he literally only comes out like every couple weeks. He does a crap ton of research and goes into and talks to people involved in hacks, exploits, um, like international espionage kind of thing. Uh, really, really, honestly, smart and nice guy is what I'll say. Great fantastic content um what i'm going to speak out of alphabetical context is pessimist archive pessimist archive might be one of the most entertaining and informative podcasts i've ever listened to because he's actually an optimist okay but he like tells you about for example right now we're all hearing how natural is good artificial is bad it's going to kill you well guess what we've always heard that crap for instance when ice makers were first made, you had the people who would go up to lakes, frozen lakes and rivers and cut out blocks of ice, claim this artificial ice will kill you. It's filled with chemicals. It's poison. It will kill you. The natural stuff. The natural stuff is what you need to do. Turns out, of course, the natural stuff was dirty, filled with microbes and will kill you. Um, but they swore they were right because they were natural. Okay, move forward another like 80 years, margarine versus butter. The butter brigade made in certain states margarine to be dyed like gray and blue. So it's painfully obvious it wasn't butter because they swore that stuff is not real. Our stuff is natural. It's better. And then he goes through that same kind of mentality to where like this, everything we're experiencing today has been done before. The other one I loved was how they believed they, a certain spectrum of people with, you know, journalist uh, creds believed that when a woman rode a pedal bike with bicycle, it would satisfy her too much sexually and then cause her to become dormant as a wife. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, Okay, back to the alphabetical order. Going Lennox, Larry Bushy. Um, I was secretly told he was going to take down his donation link because he got sick and tired of hearing podcasts beg for money in air quotes. So I immediately, before he took down the link, went and gave him 50 bucks because that's what I do. Uh, Going Lennox, easily one of the best podcasts I've listened to, period. Um, let me look down a little bit more. Okay, I'm going to say the next one that I absolutely love. It's discontinued, but it's worth going back and listening to. It's called Nintendo Power Time Podcast, a Nintendo retrospective for gamers. Uh, the first like 80 episodes, he literally went through every episode or issue of Nintendo Power Magazine. And he went through not page by page, but section by section, feeling by feeling. And I thought that was an absolutely fantastic, uh, like essay of my youth is the way I'll put it. Um, Dude, that is awesome. I had, I remember the, all those, uh, I could see back then. So I remember all those, uh, you know, uh, uh, magazines that came out every uh, monthly. Those were awesome. Yeah, they were absolutely great. Uh, another one that's discontinued that I definitely beg people to go back and listen to because I do believe it was that good. It's called root access. Uh, there's only 22 episodes. Um, the last episode was two years ago. This guy went into the dirty, dirty, 
dirty underside of the internet and crypto and privacy and was telling things that people shouldn't have to hear. And then I have to always give a honorable mention to um, Lennox basement, which I think was honestly, Chad, one of the best podcasts ever, but only slightly better than that. Uh, Lennox reality, which is still hosted on archive.org by chess Griffin is by far the best podcast I've ever listened to period. Hard stop. The funny part about it is that some of that is still even valid today. A lot of it is. Um, damn it. I got to mention, I got to mention two more podcasts. I'm sorry. Um, one of my idols growing up, uh, because I felt like class was rare. There's actually two of them. One is called the Carson podcast. It's basically a fan that goes around and finds people who were involved with the Johnny Carson podcast and interviews them. All kinds of people, influential people, celebrities, stars, writers, uh, producers, everything, and just interviews them and ask them, what did Johnny Carson mean to you? What did the show mean to you? Um, and then very recently, the Johnny Carson Entertainment Group released a podcast. It's literally called the Johnny Carson show from the official Johnny Carson place. It's only, uh, I want to say around 19 episodes in where they literally have access to the entire Johnny Carson library of content. And they selectively pull out like a monologue from a show and then an interview with a guest. Uh, uh, I have not smiled so much in the last month or two months than when I started to subscribe to that show. And I can't do it now, but right on to the side of me, of course, Jonathan won't be able to see it. I have a life magazine from 1972, I believe with Johnny Carson on the cover. So every time I come downstairs, that's what I see because that's what I aspire to be. I aspire to be a mix of Johnny Carson and chess Griffin uh, to it, to me, the most professional, genuine people in entertainment media I've ever listened to. And let's not minimize the talent it takes to actually carry on conversations with with um, uh, your interviewers, because the thing is, is that uh, very few people have that. Uh, in fact, I think one of the gold standards is Dan Rather. You know, he has a show on Access TV called The Big Interview, and he's a pro. He comes always prepared. You know, his... His um, guests are never surprised. Well, they're surprised by the kind of questions because they've never been asked them before, you know. Well, uh, and like Johnny Carson, they expect a certain set of pre-drawn questions, but rather lets the conversation dictate the question. And unlike the current late night talk show host, he doesn't adhere to this script of questions. Oh, and that's the biggest thing, because when Johnny asked the question, he knew what he wanted and and would just give it to him. He wasn't interested in hearing himself talk. You know, that's the biggest drawback to the current crop of night nighttime TV is that they're more interested in getting their long-winded stories about something before they actually get to the actual question. So it's, um, yeah, Johnny Carson was, as they say, a national treasure. Yeah, and I got to say, it turns out Johnny Carson's favorite guest, A, he hated Bob Hope. Good, because I did too. B, he loved the like the potato chip lady. You know, the lady who all he did was collect potato chips that were like looked like people. He these were his favorite guests. Um also, two more things. Uh he was the first person to publicly on nationwide television basically debunk Yuri Geller and prove that he was completely fake, which he only did under the advisement of amazing Randy, um, con man in his youth, turned magician in his middle age, turned debunker in his old age. He told Johnny Carson exactly what to do to prove that Yuri Geller has no special talent and ability. And you watch the entire episode with you're yeller and it is so painful because it's so obvious he doesn't know what to do and johnny's being the complete gentleman as he always was three the split second johnny carson died he made the one time largest secretly not so many people know this made the one time largest contribution of any individual in the history of man before then that's how much money johnny carson had and it went towards uh contributions for kids with diseases and education for poor and third world kind of countries. Um, Johnny Carson was the epitome of class to which we have not seen in any public media since then. And while I like Joe Rogan, he most certainly is not 
the essence of class. No, yeah, but, yeah, uh, I, I would I wouldn't put him on that Celine Melville. <laughs> uh, but I will say one of the things I've noticed is that watching Joe Rogan over the years and his show Mature, uh, I actually I don't mind him at all. I think he actually uh, I I enjoy his his stuff. I just like how he he knows how to ask the right question, and then he literally doesn't say anything for the next fifteen minutes right. because he just knows how to wind up his guest and let him go. You know. Well, he's great at shutting up, which is rare these days. But two, I can't watch him on YouTube. It only goes up to two X. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And I love when I love, I love, I love, I love when a listener emails me and tells me a podcast is too long. Really? <laughs> You're telling me my podcast is too long? The average Joe Rogan podcast is about three hours long, and he just got something like $200 million. I'm pretty sure my podcast is not too long. Maybe your attention span is too short. There you go. <laughs> so I'll say it like this, Jonathan. Um, since now Podnuts is doing everything in its power to not take ad revenue, you know, that means, you know, money's not coming as eh, freely as it was in the past. Yeah. Uh, I have been speaking to multiple people about there has to be some kind of way we can connect, hook up, meet up kind of thing. But of course, you know, thanks to the Rona, everything's paused and delayed. Yeah. Um, but I'll say there's few people in this world I would like to get rona from than jonathan they do <laughs> um so what i'll say to you is now that you know you've been through the gravy train you've been through the ringer you've seen the highs you have witnessed the lows if you could right now hypothetically have the figuratively lennox ear right in front of you what would you say anything should be focused on what needs to be improved what needs to be fixed what needs to be have some attention, some TLC done towards it in the realm of Linux. And it's really hard to like answer only because we don't live in a perfect world. And if we lived in a perfect world, sort of the ideals of the open source, open source ethos would work their way through and, and kind of be what they should be. But, you know, and in, in a world that we live in, nothing's perfect. And so, it's this this thing can't really be governed it's it's like the horse is out of the barn and like the ideals are out there but really anyone can sort of flex those ideals a little bit into shape and fit the whatever mold they want so even though across the board everything seems to be the same and as usual it's kind of really not behind closed doors so i don't really know if anything can necessarily be done i think if you can find a community and it kind of fits your needs and it works for you good you know awesome i mean i i'd prefer to use free software and prefer to run linux but right now i'm not but you know i'm going to get involved in the uh that reaper community with that open source like bridge that makes it accessible i'll probably get involved with them i was thinking about maybe starting to see about getting involved with nvda a little bit maybe or something but um I don't know. Like I said, I would I would say to the new Linux user, open source software person, you know, find a community that sort of fits what you're looking for, but don't look to change a community would be what I would say. Very good words. No, nope. I agree. In fact, I think if you're looking for the kind of community feel that we've spoken about in the past, you'd actually have to look towards the Linux and dare I say, even the Windows community, because I've been to a couple of uh, Windows events and I got to tell you, it feels like the old Linux feeling, you know, where you have a lot of people who are all working towards one thing and are openly sharing as much information about what it is they're doing. So, you know, uh, I think it's shifting. We'll see. Well, yeah, I'll say it almost, uh, mm, okay. I don't think this is accurate, but I think there's some truthfulness in this. It almost doesn't matter what a single Microsoft executive thinks, feels, wants, or believes. It matters what the boots on the ground are doing inside Microsoft, okay? But I'll say it like this. Everybody working at Microsoft must suffer from whiplash, because there's never in the history of the world been as gargantuan as a company to shift as fast, like a Titanic that shifts like a mosquito through the air kind of thing as Microsoft. And I think it has nothing to do with the executives. 
I think it has nothing to do with the management. I think it has nothing to do with that. I think it has to do with the individual boots on the grounds, the people writing the code, the people creating the tools, the people who are like convincing Microsoft to buy GitHub. Those kinds of people are dictating the future of the company. I think Microsoft has done a fantastic job of listening to lesser people on how can we make your job easier? What will make your job easier, faster, better? Okay. With that stated, um, Linux is a cancer. It is, but you got to understand everything is evolutionary. Everything is revolutionary. Change is going to happen no matter what. If you fight change, you die. Okay. If there's a cancer that is unstoppable in a technological ecosystem, you have a choice. You can ignore it and die, or you can extend, you can embrace and maybe distinguish maybe evolve into, maybe become a parasite onto it. I don't know. Maybe we need another phrase there besides extinguish, but Microsoft is enveloping the open source ecosystem. Um, and they're doing a tremendous job of integrating open source technology in every single branch of everything they're doing. And they are doing a better job than a huge number of Linux distributions in integrating open technologies. And that's the sad truth. Um, we need somebody to keep doing good. Debian is doing as good as it can possibly do. Okay. Because it's, it's tr the only true community driven thing. Then we have canonical. We have open source. We have, I think the guy does mushrooms behind Slackware or whatever. Okay. As long as they keep innovating, they're going to keep challenging everybody to do better. And anything that is in direct uh, competition with Mac OS X, I have to support, period. People say, well, you know, Mac, they're now going with ARM. No, they're not, you complete mental invalid. Because if you take any Mac chip and you give it to any developer who does ARM, they're not going to recognize any of it. Because while they license ARM technology, they make it their own thing. They didn't go from Intel to ARM. They went from outsourcing to insourcing to where now it's a complete profit stack from beginning of the silicon to the ending of the yuppie at the line paying a 300% markup to get his iPad Pro. Okay. That's just more profit. Like In Living Color taught us back in the 90s, mo money, mo money, mo money. It's not about ARM or anything. It's just about profit margins. Um. And I'll say it like this. I don't know how long we've been going on. We've been going on for a while. So what I'll say is, Jonathan, always a joy to hear you. Anytime you want to play uh, that Star Trek uh, bridge simulator, just let me know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Bruce, thank you very much again for always coming out. Again, uh, I do believe we actually did have a new Patreon, and I do believe we actually had an email. But because I'm so incompetent, a.k.a. I'm in so much pain, um, I don't know what the email is, um, but if you want to send us an email, podcast at linuxfortherestofus.com, you can send us a voicemail at 707-6-PODNUT. Go ahead and call us a voicemail. Um, if you want to troll me, do your best. I've taken down bigger and stronger. Uh, and I always encourage everyone, never, ever, ever forget, if you do not have root on your system, you really do not know who does. I'll talk to everyone again real soon. 